Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. That seems to be the most important thing right now, but I am feeding on something even greater. And they're like, you know, someone else brought you sardines, or what's the, what, someone else brought you food. And it's like, no, I'm feeding on, on God's will, and it's more satisfying than any food. So he tells them, look up, see, this harvest is before us. It's not four months until the harvest, and he uses this agricultural analogy there because the harvest was everything in that society, and they would, you know, when is the harvest coming? When is the harvest coming? How's the harvest looking? It was so important. He says, no, the harvest is right now. The tops of the plants are white for harvest, and they're concerned about food. And within just seconds, you see all these Samaritans believing in Jesus Christ. So beautiful story there that ends uh, with, with the Samaritan and woman and the Samaritan people believing in Christ and wanting him to stay longer. Uh, just a couple of things we applied. One of them was this. How often do we, like the disciples, get so overly distracted by temporal needs and desires that we fail to see the greater purposes of living and working for God that are before us? Because you have the disciples who are, I mean, they're trying to do something good. and They're trying to feed Jesus, but there's something greater that needs to be done that they need to see. And uh, that could definitely be the case with us many times. Well, let's look at our text today. We're going to be in verse 43, and we'll go through verse 54. Uh, there is a progression in the travel itinerary here of Jesus. He is going to be moving on, and there's going to be a different situation, obviously, and a different scenario that takes place here now. We're leaving Samaria. Let's look at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he had come to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water, uh, made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him the father knew that was the hour when jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed in all his household this was now the second sign that jesus did when he had come from judea to galilee let's pray heavenly father we thank you for giving us your word to feed on today lord help us to to bask on it to feed on it lord to apply it to our lives and co to consider the original point that these words were written by john and that is to reveal to teach who jesus the christ really is and help us to make sure that our belief is rooted in the biblical jesus the real jesus and that we have not fabricated a different jesus than you have given to take away our sins Help us to dwell on him, to, to, to be thankful for him, and to worship him truly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you go back to verse 43, 
Uh, we're kind of going from a, you might call it from a citywide revival to, he's just going to be going through a city, but it's going to have a household revival that takes place. And here in verse 43, we'll just go through for verse 45. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, it's interesting, if you look back here in verse 43 and verse 44, uh, why would John write that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, right? But yet, in the very next sentence, in verse 44, uh, you have the mention of the Galileans welcoming him. So you have, it's seemingly like a contradiction, but it's not when you, when you, the more you understand how John writes. John has been, he's already done this before and he'll do this, especially John chapter 6 and ongoing. There's, there is a belief in Jesus that is not saving belief. And that's what we're going to acknowledge here. He, he's on his way to Galilee. Nazareth is in Galilee. He's going to be going through Cana. He'd been to Cana before. Relatives are around in that area, most likely. So he's going back to this area. Verse 44 says, Jesus himself had testified that prophet has no honor in his own hometown, but yet uh, they came out to welcome him. So there was a welcome, but yet Jesus says he has no honor in his own hometown. So there's something that's being revealed to us, right? Uh, there is a welcome, but it's not for the right reasons. The welcome party is not out of love of Jesus, of love of Christ, of love of his teaching and love of his message. As we find out, the love is for entertainment. They are welcoming him because they want him to do signs. They want him to perform, and that's why they are welcoming him. So the point of this is it is a shallow welcome, and as we'll see, it's completely different than the welcome he received in Samaria. Samaritans did not want the signs and the wonders. What did they want? They wanted him. They wanted his teaching. They wanted his message and pleaded for him to stay two days with them. He comes into, into Israel now uh, where these are supposed to be those who are looking for the Messiah, want the Messiah, and instead all they want is more miracles to be performed. Now, what feast is Jesus, are they referring to here? Uh, where Jesus was performing miracles. Well, if you look just back in your Bible just a little bit to John chapter 2, uh, John lets us know exactly what feast that was. It is an extremely important feast. It's what we celebrated today now as the Lord's Supper that has replaced the Passover feast. Uh, but this was the Passover feast. And just to remind you, this was set in stone uh, by God uh, at the, for the 10th plague as God was redeeming, purchasing his people for himself and setting them free from the bondage of Egypt. All this is looking forward at the salvation that God provides for us, purchasing us, redeeming us, setting us free from the bondage of sin, right? God's wrath passing over us. This is a required feast in Israel that all households, no matter where you have drifts over, every single home had to send a male representative back to Jerusalem, to be there for the Passover feast. So this was the feast. Look at John 2, 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man because 
uh, for he himself knew what was in man. And we, we looked at this in depth, but the point of this is they were at the Passover feast. They were seeing all these wonderful signs. Verse 23, many believed in his name. And oftentimes we in our society, our culture today, we think all belief in Jesus equals saving belief. And it's simply not true. That's one of the main themes as we go through the book of John. Many people who say they believe, it's not true saving belief. They saw him do these things. They believe that he truly was doing those things. But as verse 24 lets us know, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in all people. Outwardly, people can appear to have the same belief quite often. Uh, but over time, it is revealed to us sometimes they don't. But Jesus has no need to wait for time to take place, right? Because his eyes penetrate the person's heart. He knows what's in their heart. Now, uh, consider this. Supernatural signs... Uh, were not extremely common throughout the Bible. Uh, a lot of times we read the Bible and think that there's equally dispersed throughout it. That's not the case. God would use, and this is important, well, we've mentioned this before, we'll mention it multiple times as we go through the book of John. Um, God used signs. Sometimes we call them wonders. Sometimes we call them miracles. In the book of John, he uses the word sinos in the Greek, or sign, the most common. Uh, why would God, every now and then, throughout history, uh, authenticate a person to perform a supernatural sign. And it was, it was for that purpose, to authenticate that this is my messenger. I am giving a supernatural display that he is with me and to validate his message. That is why. And so we don't see this wide disbursement of all these supernatural signs throughout. We see primarily three uh, major time periods, major epochs in the Bible. You have this, this supernatural signs performed by Mo, uh, Moses, right? You have the supernatural signs performed by Elisha and Elijah and Elisha. We'll get to that in a second. Then you have Jesus and the apostles. But all of the other miracles, supernatural signs, wonders, pale in comparison to what Jesus accomplished because this is, this is the, the, the apex of revelation from God. This is the Messiah. This is salvation. This is atonement. This is justification. This is everything coming to a head in Jesus Christ. All right? So there's lots of miracles that are going to be accompanying him and his message. Now, also, as we, we note, signs were not an end to themselves. Uh, the purpose of signs was not just to see the sign, and that was it. Uh, the Jews did not care about the message of Jesus Christ and really were treating the signs as an end in of themselves. We're welcoming you to our town, not because we love you, Jesus, not because we are seeing you as the Messiah, not because we're seeing that you're going to bring salvation, but because we want to see the signs that we saw you do back at the Passover feast. Now, the Passover feast is over. This has been some time. Everyone's dispersed back to their hometowns, but they know. I mean, the word is spread. Jesus did these things in Jerusalem at the Passover. Why? It was extremely important. Because where else could you go to to have that many households, that many homes represented to see that Jesus is authenticated by God, that his message is validated by God? The Passover, that's it. I mean, everyone's gone there. Everyone's gone back. Now the news has spread. Jesus is coming to Galilee, and they know. They want to see more signs, all right? Um, how does this differ from Jesus' encounter with the Samaritans? It differs greatly. 
uh, there with the Samaritans, we see them pleading with him to stay with him two more days so they can listen to him. They just, they just want him. They just want his message. And we see that not only the Samaritan woman believed, but all these others. We have an uncountable number. We don't know the exact number, but the, the whole city, is, is lots of people believed in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, think about that. Jesus would not stay, though, in Jerusalem, the passage we just read in John 2, 23 through 25, in Jerusalem, the temple of God is there. This is the climactical center of the, uh, Israel's religion, right? But Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He even goes into the temple, and he, does not, he is not welcome. In fact, he's overturning tables at that time as well. Uh, the Jews, he, 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 will not, he will not entrust himself to them, even though many of them, quote-unquote, believe you know, in him. He will not entrust himself to them. But he goes into Samaria, and a Samaritan woman, adulterous Samaritan woman, and, and talks to Samaritans, and he gives himself two days to them. He doesn't trust himself with them. And again, it's hard to wrap our mind around the hatred and the animosity that were between these people going way, 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 way back in history. We looked at that a few Sundays ago. But this was, this was something. In Jerusalem... He, people supposedly believed, he knew it was in their heart, he leaves. He goes to Samaria, I mean the worst place on earth in the Jewish mind, and stays with them and teaches them, and they actually believe. And uh, one of the points we look at this is through this is God knows their hearts. He looked in Samaria and said, hey, they're white for the harvest, right? In Jerusalem, no, they're not at all, I'm leaving. Uh, and the point of this is God cannot be fooled by phony faith. And John lets us know that there's multiple kinds of belief, multiple kinds of faith, and all of it is not saving faith. Uh, a question here is, uh, was John right about the superficial uh, welcome of those in his hometown? Uh, look with me over at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And even though he's not actually in his literal hometown yet, his hometown would be Nazareth. Uh, he is in the territory, the area of Galilee. Uh, Cana is just directly below Nazareth. Uh, Capernaum's further up there, but he's in this area of Galilee. It's his hometown territory, hometown area, you might say. But here in Luke chapter 4, we'll see that, uh, that Jesus is, is, is uh, what kind of welcome he gets back in his own hometown. And again, you're going to see a very mixed belief. It's like a mixed reaction here. It's like, oh, they seem to believe, and no, no, they do not. All right? Um, so there are these, now he's, he's entering into his hometown. Now let's just go to verse 16. Uh, and he came to Nazareth. This is again in the area of Galilee where he's at in John chapter 4 that we're looking at, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of this, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, this is a fascinating, fascinating uh, inter, inter, uh, uh, just, just this, this reaction of them. And, and that seems so great, seems so good, right? Uh, that what was their, their reaction to his teaching? I mean, Jesus here goes in, he's welcomed right, into the synagogue. This was, as you think of the, the temple as the apex of the um, Jewish religion, it had all these fingers all over Israel where there were synagogues. It could be, the, I think the minimum history tells us is 10 uh, families represented, up to 20, 30, they could be bigger, but there were all these synagogues all over the ci different cities. So here he goes into his hometown, he goes into the synagogue, he is welcomed, he gets a scroll and he reads, and it's not by accident, we could, this was a whole other sermon, but he picks up this beautiful piece here, and he says, in your hearing this is fulfilled. He is saying, look, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the Messiah. So what was the response of the people to his message? Look back at verse 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Wow, that's nice. I mean, look there, the thick eyes are fixed on him. He's just read this from the book of Isaiah. Everything just seems wonderful. I mean, they're all mesmerized. They're marveling at the words coming out of his mouth. Just just look at I mean, they're nothing but compliments, right? Um but we see something revealed there right after that is that their motivation to come see Jesus was not necessarily for him or for his words. They immediately demand him perform signs like you did in Capernaum. This is nice. This is good. Yes, we like your words, but we are here for the signs. They didn't really want Jesus or salvation from sin they just wanted to be entertained. And then Jesus gives two examples here of two, another time, two other times, or one, you might say, that's extended out, Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elisha performing seven miracles, Elijah, seven, Elisha, 14 uh, supernatural signs. He goes back to them. Y'all want to see signs? Let me tell you about two others in biblical history performing signs. Elijah, during this fast, during this, during, sorry, during this, this famine that God had, had caused, uh, God could have sent him, the, the prophet of God, to any of these widows in Israel, but instead he chose a Gentile, 
for the prophet to go and help. And then he gives, gives the next prophet here, Elisha, who could have gone, to, there were many sick in Israel, but instead he goes to, he is sent to a Gentile to heal him of leprosy. What does this mean? Israel was being rejected by God. Even though they claimed to be of God, they were in idolatry, and God sent his prophets to the Gentiles. And so here he's saying, they're saying, hey, we want to see signs, do the signs like you did in Capernaum, and he's revealing their heart to them. Now, uh, how does Jesus' hometown crowd take the news that he will not perform signs on command to them when they all want them? It goes from marvel to murder in their hearts just like that. And that's what you see as we're looking in John chapter 4. Look, the Galileans welcomed Jesus. Was it a true welcome? Uh, in his hometown here in Luke records, hey, look at the word, welcome you. We want to hear you. Come on in our synagogue. Read for us. You know what? Now we want to kill you. And they meant business, right? Um, they really wanted to kill him. They take him to the edge of the town, and they want to throw him off a cliff to kill him on the spot. Why? Not because of the scripture he read, not because of the words that they were marveling at, but because he will not perform the signs that they want him to accomplish. And this is what we see, though. Miracles in and of themselves do not produce true faith. You see that over and over as you read the New Testament. Many people today think, oh, if we could just have miracles happen today, so many more people would believe. And then you look in the Bible, and you'll see where thousands see, see a sign right in front of them, and they walk away, and they don't believe. Or you see at Passover, Jesus is performing signs, but yet they all leave, and it's not true belief. He has to go into Samaria to find true believers. And... A lot of this, I think, can be applied to us as well today, like in the hometown of Jesus. Many people express belief in Jesus, but often that belief is not saving faith. This is important for all of us to, to think on ourselves, if you're here today or listening. Such faith appears to be real faith for some time, but fails the test of time. Uh, like the supposed faith of those in his hometown, faith is often tested when we do not get Jesus to do what we think he should do. And that's when the faith of those in his hometown was revealed to not be true faith, right? You do what we want you to do, or we're not going to believe in you. In fact, we're going to kill you. And uh, that's often what we see. Sometimes people say, I'll believe in God as long as he does everything, just like I want him to do, and my life is perfect. If God does not perform as I think he should, then I'm out of here. And that's not true faith. That is not true faith. That is revealed that this is fake faith. It's not true saving faith in Jesus Christ. When your faith is self-centered and narcissistic and you're demanding of God to give you this, to do this, and do it exactly as I say, you are taking on the position of God and not seeing him as God. So it's extremely important. Put these things in your mind. Apply these things to your heart. Make sure you have true saving faith in Jesus, and you love him, and you love his message, and not just what he can do for you uh, to bring about temporary satisfaction or entertainment like those in his hometown or in Galilee were. Uh, let's look over at verse 46. Go back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 46. So continuing the story there, uh, Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. 
All right, and just to kind of recap, John is just picking up where he, he's, he's, he had gone here in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, and uh, we spoke much about that, that they, the, they had ran out of wine at the wedding. That was the bride's groom, which we just call the groom today's responsibility to provide for the people at this wonderful occasion, and he had not. They had ran out. It was a huge embarrassment to their family. In fact, the bride... Uh, could actually, the family could cancel the wedding because this was a, a sign that he was inadequately prepared for marriage, that he couldn't even provide enough wine for this party. And uh, so we see Mary come to Jesus and, is there anything you can do? And the first sign happens where Jesus turns water into wine. And if we recall that miracle, we learn several things from that John is teaching us as we go, right? The Gospel of John is written, and it, it's kind of like a snowball, and more information is added, more information is added, more, until you get to the final end, and it's, it's all this, this is who Jesus is. But here, there at the wedding of, and, and the Cana wedding, you see that Jesus has the power to uh, turn something into something else. I mean, that's some, that is a, truly a sign. He also has the power over time, it's water, and instead of having to apply grapes and wait weeks or wait months for this to ferment and, in the pro and, and do all the process of turning this into wine, he can speak it into existence. And this is the first sign that he accomplishes. And in doing this, he also reveals that he is the ultimate bridegroom, which in the Old Testament, God is the bridegroom and Israel is his people. And many times, God accuses his people of committing adultery on him, because they're with other gods. They're committing adultery. So, and Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom by this sign that provides sufficiently for my people. And so there, there's, a, there's, there's a supernatural sign. There's also a, a type of, this is pointing to something greater that Jesus is fulfilling, all right? So Jesus is our bridegroom. We are his people, and he provides more than enough for us. Now that had happened. This is where this has happened, all right? Now, we keep moving on. Uh, verse 46, And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right, so we have the welcome there in Galilee that apparently is not a true welcome because he has no, no honor in his own hometown. And then you have this man from Capernaum. We don't really know any details except that he most likely worked for Herod. He was a, an official in the government. He had come from 20 miles away. It's where Capernaum would be. And his son was, was extremely sick and was about to die. His son is facing imminent death. Uh, the man, we don't know what all he knows, but maybe he was at Jerusalem as well when the Passover feast happened. He knew about the signs. He heard Jesus was, was coming. And he travels all this way and begs Jesus to come heal my son. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, most likely, we, we don't know a whole lot, but most likely the man appeared uh, to, to be like the other Galileans who wanted the signs and they were demanding the signs. He had come to see the signs as well. To somehow validate, okay, this is, this is, you can do this, then you can possibly come heal my son as well. All right, look at verse 49. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So here we see that he's not there for the entertainment. He's not there just to see signs. He is personally vested. He says, please come heal my son 
because he is dying. Please come heal him before he dies. So we see that this man's faith seems to be distinguished away from the general population there in Galilee. And Jesus is honing in on this. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So this is certainly an expression of true faith here by this man from Capernaum. Uh, Jesus uh, has, has said, go, and he will live. And the man, what does the man do? He, he goes. And, and this is exactly what he does. He, he, he obeys God, obeys Jesus, and he goes. He stops pleading, he obeys, and he goes in faith. Look what happens in verse 51. As he was going, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now this, this miracle, we'll talk about this in a little bit in a minute, this sign is unlike other signs in the Old Testament but, or, uh, because you see them going to the person to bring about the healing, right? Elijah or Elisha is going to touch or lay there, whatever. It, it, it's very physical. It has to be from him to the other. This is different because Jesus is able to heal this person from 20 miles away. And the gentleman from Capernaum has nothing to draw from to know that this is even possible, but we see true faith happening that he is resting in who Jesus is, that his power can reach further than his hand, and that it can be 20 miles away where his son is going to be healed. Now, we often look at this passage and think, this is amazing, right? Uh, the, the young boy was saved from death over 20 miles away. This a little more. Uh, what is better, to be healed by Jesus physically or to be healed by Jesus spiritually? Uh, what about the boy that was healed from the fever that day? Uh, would, did he eventually die? And the answer is yes. Right? He's not here with us today. So he, where is he? Where does he, he go? He's, his body stops working. And that's why uh, it is that yes, he, he, his body was saved from death. Yes, he did not die. But if you look at this story, you see an entire household coming to belief. Look at this verse, verse, uh, 50, or verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This is, this is the apex here. This is what's most important. And so you do see that signs in and of themselves do not bring about true faith, but that God does use them to bring his elect to himself. Others hate him for what he is doing. They hate him and they only want to see the sign just to be entertained, just do the signs, right? And we reject that God is doing this and validating your message and authenticating you. We just want to see the signs. But here you see a person react truly the way they should with true belief in Jesus Christ. They are saved. And this goes this goes right into whatever, John 1, John 2, John 3, John 3, 16, right? Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will be saved, will have eternal life. This is the most important thing that is taught here. Physical healing, great. We all want that when we are sick. But most importantly 
is spiritual healing, which ultimately leads to full physical healing one day. We will not be in these decrepit bodies forever. That those who are truly saved will be in the new heaven, will be in the new earth, will have glorified bodies that you do not have to take ibuprofen for. All right? You will be fully made new in the presence of God. But you, that's, that's why this, it's more important to believe in Jesus Christ than it is even to be physically made well. Um, let's think about this. The, uh, similar to the woman at the well in Samaria, God used one person to reach many. This is all, also a similarity that John is bringing out here. Jesus comes into Samaria. He talks with one woman. And what does that one woman do? While the disciples are trying to get Jesus to eat, and that's all I can think about, she takes off. Uh, as, as Paul says in, in Romans, her feet are beautiful because her feet are bringing the good news throughout the city. She takes off, the whole city comes, they ask Jesus to stay, and the whole town believes in Jesus. Amazing, right? Now, Jesus comes into Galilee, the Jewish territory. They pseudo-welcome him, not really. One man comes from a Capernaum and goes back to his home, and you see a whole entire household uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, it's always interesting to think about. Like, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? And you hear amazing stories. That's why I love to hear anytime someone's wanting to join the church, I want to hear their story. Because it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's rich, right? Some of you have come from Christian homes, and that's wonderful. And, and your parents have taught you in the Word of God. You know the gospel, you're grounded in the gospel, you have true belief in Jesus Christ for your salvation. That's beautiful. Then others of you heard the gospel from a complete stranger, that maybe you've never even met again, or someone that was just in your life for a moment, and now here you are, and you're a father with kids, and you're teaching your kids now, and all this is stemming from one guy somewhere along the way that shared the gospel with you, and now you have generational change. Uh, whole lives or generations are going to be changed because someone shared the gospel with you. So never underestimate what God can do through your witness to one single person. You may witness to a person one day that you never see again in your entire life. Does that mean that that, that witness didn't count or it, didn't, it wasn't effective? No. It, it could have radically changed everything. So always trust in the power of the gospel. You do your part to get the gospel out, and just God works with that gospel to do amazing things. Whole towns, whole households can be saved, all right? Now, uh, of all the signs and wonders that Jesus did, as many more are recorded in the other Gospels, John chooses only to record seven of the supernatural signs of Jesus. Each sign recorded appears to be chosen specifically for the purpose of teaching that Jesus is God. Look, look at John 20, verse 30 through 31. We've come to this verse many times. We'll keep coming to this verse as we go through the book of John because in this, in this section... You have, and some, some books are like this. All of them are not, but some are, where you have the purpose statement of the writing. It's given right here. Why did John write the book of John? I wonder. Here he answers it, okay? Look at verse 30. John chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. All right? So he acknowledges many other signs were done. They're not written. But verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he lays out the purpose for his writing down the gospel, what we call the gospel of John. Many other signs were performed, but why did he choose these? These are written so that you may truly believe in the Jesus who is the Christ, who is also the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is, this is the second sign that he records. All the recordings of, of John, as far as the signs go, are to point you to who Jesus truly is. He is the prophesied Christ, the prophesied Messiah who has now come. He is also not just man, he is very God. He is truly the Son of God. Now, what, are the, what does the healing of the boy teach us about Jesus Christ? Reflect on that for a moment. Uh, because, again, this is, this is, this is continual teaching. Uh, a few things that you can take, uh, that, he had the, uh, that he had the power to heal a dying boy. Again, this is developing, right, as John's building this. That he could instantaneously and completely heal a deadly sickness. That he has that ability. Uh, number three, that he did not have, that he did not have to be present to heal the boy. Again, this is kind of a new revelation. This has never been done before. And number four, that Jesus, Jesus knew that the boy was healed even though he was 20 miles away. So John is using this, if you think on it, to prove Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Who knows uh, if someone is 20 miles away if they have been healed? Now it's a little easier. You pick up your smart device, you call and you ask or something, right? But this man comes to Jesus, please come with me to heal my son. And Jesus announces he will be healed. The word comes back to him, and he is indeed healed. This is, again, pointing to that Jesus has knowledge that is not just our knowledge. This is pointing to that he is omniscient, and that his power reaches beyond where he can touch. He is truly omnipotent. He has all power. And all these, 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 these signs are pointing to that Jesus is truly God. All right, in summary today, uh, thus far in the book of John, he has presented us with quite a variety of different beliefs or faiths in Jesus. You have the disciples who early on, he are called, make some great faith statements about who Jesus is. Uh, you also have some that do not. You have the Passover feast that happens. Jesus performs the signs. They seemingly believe Jesus knows what's in their hearts and leaves. Then you have the, the, the belief there with the Samaritan woman the, of Nicodemus who believed that Jesus was a prophet from God because he had done these signs but yet walks away without true saving faith. And then you, come, you have the, the, the hometown welcome here that seems like true belief. When we go over it and look at what happened there when he gets up to teach in the synagogue in Nazareth, we see this is not true believing faith. You don't want to murder the person that is there to save you, right? So it, they're exposed. But then you see this man in Capernaum with true belief, and his whole family believes in Jesus Christ. Now, John has written his gospel so that we may rightly believe in Jesus. And in the process of doing so, he provides us with examples of true belief and examples of false belief as well. And we are to see this and recognize that just as Jesus knew the hearts of the people and knew whether or not they had true faith, that we are to analyze even our own hearts. Do I have true saving faith? 
there's no fooling God. God knew the hearts of all those who had gathered there in, at the Passover in Jerusalem to see him, to believe in him, but yet they didn't. He saw the supposed belief as he came into Galilee that was not a true welcome to honor him as a prophet from God. He saw the, man, the woman in Samaria. He saw the Samaritans. He saw the, the man in Capernaum. He's, he knows what true faith is. Uh, do you have saving faith? There is no fooling God. Do you love Christ for who he truly is? Or do you only want him to do what you, he, you want him to do? Uh, do you honor him by obeying him? I pray so. If you have come to him for the wrong reasons, analyze that today to make sure that you have true saving faith. Uh, if, if not, repent of your sin and rightly believe in Jesus Christ today for salvation and not for the things that he can accomplish for you in this temporary life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to rescue us so that we may believe in him for eternal life. This is not just a story. This is not just a narrative that we've come together today to hear read to us, Lord. But we acknowledge that this is uh, the, the story that John is putting down, the gospel that, that we need to believe in for salvation, and that these are purposefully written down. You have inspired, you have authorized these words to be the gospel that we, we focus on, that we meditate on, that we, we feed our souls on, God. And from this, we understand that Jesus is indeed the Savior, as the Samaritan said, the Savior of the world, as he preached to them. Help us to not have the false faith, the fake faith, Lord, that so many have already had here in the book of John as we've gone through. But I pray, God, that you would give true saving faith, Lord, that, that it was true faith that, that we believe in Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has accomplished on the cross. And Lord, when we do not get our ways and do not get, uh, get you to do exactly what we think you need to do in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would not turn our backs that we would not go from marveling to wanting to murder, but help us to see that you are God and that you know best and that your ways are beyond our ways. And even when we can't get you to do exactly what we want you to do, uh, like those in Jesus' hometown, help us, Lord, to, to maintain true faith and to see Jesus for who he truly is. And we pray that our, our circumstances would not cause us to question and to doubt but Lord, help it to make our faith even stronger as we go through tribulations and trials and persecutions and whatever this life has for us, Lord. May we continually rely on Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would not be so focused on this temporary life like even the disciples were when people were being saved and they just wanted to focus on the food. Help us to not get so distracted that we fail to see where you have placed us in this world and the people that are around us. Help us to never underestimate the power of sharing the gospel with one person, that a whole town, a whole household, multiple generations could be rescued, could be saved, could come to true belief because we take the time to share the gospel with maybe one person. Lord, keep that on our heart. Keep that on our mind. I pray that our eyes...